Welcome to the She Plays on Women's Football podcast. I'm your host Harry Chat. This week we take a look at the NWSL in the USA and where it is heading after the completion of the NWSL Challenge Cup. But first, some news from this week. cities for the 2022 Women's European Championship have been given a total of £1 million of national lottery funding to increase the number of adult women playing in football. It was due to be staged in England in 2021, but was put back to July 2022 following the postponement of the Tokyo Olympics and men's Euro 2020 competition. Cities like London, Trafford, Manchester, Sheffield, Rotherham, Milton Kings, Wigan and Leigh, Brighton and Hove and Southampton are all set to benefit. They will get, quote, approximately £100,000 to create a recreational women's football offer in each of the nine host cities. The plans include schemes to raise the number of grassroots volunteers and a pilot scheme to discover if parents and carers want the chance to play football at the same time as FA Wildcats coaching sessions for children. The 2019-20 Women's FA Cup has been given the go-ahead to be completed with the final to be held at Wembley on the 31st of October. The final will be played at Wembley for the sixth time. Now the cup will resume with the last eight on the weekend of the 26th to 27th. Of September, semi-finals taking place between 30th of September and 1st of October. The quarterfinals will come three weeks into England's 2021 domestic women's season, with the WSL starting on the 5th to the 6th of September. No elite women's football has been played in the country since prior to the lockdown. It has not yet been decided whether any fans will be permitted to attend October's final. Tickets purchased for May's original final date will be refunded. The current quarterfinal fixtures are Brighton and Hove Albion against Birmingham City, Everton against Chelsea, Arsenal against Tottenham in North London Derby, and Leicester City against Manchester City. Sophie Schmidt scored on an early penalty kick and Shade Groom added a stoppage time goal in the USA to give the Houston Dash the Challenge Cup tournament title with a 2-0 victory over the Chicago Red Stars on Sunday. Houston, in its seventh year in the league, had never previously made the playoffs. The month-long tournament was National Women's Soccer League and WSL's reboot after the regular season was shut down by the coronavirus outbreak. The NWSL, the top tier of women's football in America, announced the plans for its return amid a climate of statewide stay-at-home orders, with a blueprint that would make it the first team sport to return in the US. Now many countries are facing entire summers without women's sport, the Challenge Cup is proof that it can be done. Of course, it's hard for women's football to come back, but with sufficient effort and financial backing, women's sport has shown that it can continue without being left behind. Facing the same challenges as the rest of the world, in March, the NWSL have been in the early days of pre-season, 
when spot shut down in response to the global coronavirus pandemic. The thought of playing out a delayed regular season with extensive travel commitments across nine states at varying stages of reopening did bring anxiety. First, the NWSO Challenge Cup was born, beginning on June 27th with a 25-game tournament near Salt Lake City, Utah. Utah Royals would open their sprawling training complex, which contains a self-contained village hosting around 250 players and accompanying staff. The NWSO took over one local hotel. Each team has their own floor and apartment complexes around the training facilities were to be made available. Issa Bad, who is the NWSO commissioner, promised players with children that they would be supported and a carer could travel with them to Utah. Teams have rattled through games every few days since then. With the high attitude and high temperature, we think that the NWSL isn't the same, hopefully, because with even at the finals, even in the semi-finals, perhaps, the standard of play was not at the standard that is normal, or perhaps at the standard of the WSL, which over in the United Kingdom we've grown used to watching, perhaps. We hope it's because of the attitude of the psychological impact of the temperature and all that. But to those who are comparing the NWSL with perhaps the WSL, then at the moment it's safe to say that indeed the WSL does have more talent. Perhaps this is only an opinion, but with the amount of miss kicks, with the amount of missed passes we've seen in the NWSL, it does seem that the WSL contain more technicality, more tactical deployments, and overall the players seem to be performing at a higher level, of course, before the pandemic. So we do look forward to seeing the NWSL next season to see where they stand at and what level they are at in comparison with the WSL. Because there is often a conception or misconception that because the USA women's football team is the best or one of the best at least in the world and the league should be good. Well, those watching the Premier League should know that a good league doesn't exactly mean a good national team, but the system in the States perhaps make it difficult. Without being in the national team in the USA, it's very hard to develop your game and the standard of the league varies from being at a very high level, from the players like Julie Ertz or Megan Rapino or Rachel Daly, who's from England, who plays for Houston Dash, their captain, winning the MVP award, to those who aren't international team for the States. So again, it's something that the NWSL perhaps have to look at if it wants to be an even more attractive league compared to not just the UK, but also other European leagues. Swedish forward Noor Mustafa has signed for West Ham United from Eskilstuna United. The 18-year-old becomes the Hammers' fifth signing of the summer window so far. Noor also announced the news that she is joining Common Goal, which is a charitable organisation launched with the help of Juan Mata in 2017, pledging at least 1% of members' salary to good causes.
Now it is one of the example of compatriot Modelina Eriksson, who is the Chelsea captain who joined the common goal before and seeded the idea in Norse mind. But the principles of giving back were rooted in her upbringing and the feelings of empathy with those less fortunate than herself. As a young Muslim woman in Sweden, she always realized that she was not viewed in the same ways as others, as she recently said in an interview. We think this is one of the first moves we have to recognize within women's football, not just about the topic of sexism within football, but also about racism in women's football. The two have to work hand in hand together, in our opinion. And this is one of the many examples that is, of course, come and go, and other initiatives being taken by players to move the conversation forward, but also to give other girls who are hoping to play as part of a minority group in football or in any other sports a model or an example from these players that it is possible and it is something that they should pursue. Wales women's manager Jane Ludlow said she understands her players decide to feature in a Team Great Britain, Team GB, at the Tokyo Olympics, and that it would be fantastic to see them compete. Team GB is set to take a side to the Tokyo Games, which has been pushed back to the summer of 2021 because of the coronavirus pandemic. Football's governing bodies in Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. All are against the idea of the players competing for Team GB because of the threat it poses to the statuses in the game, but will not prevent them from being selected. UEFA is ready to move the venues for August Women's Champions League, should Spain's new flurry of coronavirus cases mean it is not safe to play the tournament there. The country insisted on Sunday that the latest outbreak of the coronavirus cases. Were isolated and under control, and easing of lockdown restrictions in Spain has seen a sharp increase in infections, while France and Germany have also both seen a rise in new cases. The Champions League is set to conclude in Spain next month, beginning with the first set of quarterfinal matches on August twenty-first. Bilbao and San Sebastian. We will host the competition until August thirtieth, in an eight-team straight knockout tournament, split between Bilbao and San Sebastian, with the latter staging the final. The quarterfinals currently include Glasgow City, Wolfsburg, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Arsenal, PSG, Lyon, and Bayern Munich. Welcome back to our crash course segment in focus, where we dissect one hot topic in women's football each week. This week, we want to go across the ocean and take a look at the National Women's Soccer League (NWSL). As we mentioned a bit earlier, I want to focus on two particular questions: where they stand, where NWSL stand amongst the top leagues around the world, and how they should move forward. After the Challenge Cup ended last week, now first I want to provide some context here. Football, or as they call it, soccer, is not mainstream in the USA. 
In fact, mostly girls play football in their teens, in secondary school or high school, whatever way you call it, while boys play American football, which is actually one reason why we think women's football is in the United States better than men, because a lot of the girls there are actually focused on playing football as the education curriculum in the past and to some extent now is still designed to be. Second of all, sports is highly encouraged in university or in college, as they call it, where you can actually get a spot or even get a scholarship in very top universities as a student athlete. And also, they provide a very good pathway for you to enter into the league that is the NWSL, or for the men, the MLS, or NFL, NBA, through the draft system, which we will talk about a bit later. The national team players, they get paid even better and they're very well respected within USA and of course around the world as they play in the Olympics team and all that. But the problem that arises here is that non-national team players or non-Americans are not so well paid, especially women's athletes or women's players in football, and it's harder to get recognition on many levels. You don't have as much scouts coming from teams such as in Europe or in other places or even from your own national team. You have perhaps less fans and therefore less investors, etc, etc. And it is a problem that the league has to solve. So back to our first question then, where does the league stand? First of all, the league is a summer league. That means it's played somewhere between March to perhaps October or November, depending on the number of teams that season and also whether they're Olympics, which is the first big problem, as the summer league inevitably clashes with Olympics and other international games. And they also create a problem for players as some may know that Olympics is a very big thing, especially in women's football. But second of all, with the Summer League, they have to work with other leagues to create a full season. Because with the limited number of teams they have, a lot of players only play for less than half a year. So it's very hard to keep fit, to keep their bodies going, playing only half a season. So they would go to other places like Australia, the W League, which is also expanding with home and away games, as we have mentioned in an earlier episode. Now, Australia also plays, for your reference, a summer league, but their summer is in direct opposite of the USA. In around December, November, that's the summer, so they match perfectly. But as we mentioned in that episode, that leads to injury problems for a lot of players because they're burned out and all that. Second of all, the NWSL is in expansion. They are having new teams next season and in coming few seasons. So they may be able to stand on its own. Where, for example, you have the ability for NWSL to be separate from the W League, as we have said earlier. But with their postseason playoffs, that still means that the season could be shorter for a lot of teams. And for background, a postseason playoff is similar to a knockout tournament where, say, the top eight or the top six teams are eligible to the postseason where they play a number of games, eliminate other teams, and then go into the final. But those who don't get into the postseason 
to them get into the knockout stages, then have way less games to play. And second of all, there is a lack of domestic and continental cups within the USA, which means that the number of games the players actually play are very minimal. They only have one league; they do not have a continental cup. And as far as we are concerned, there isn't really much of a domestic cup. But something good on the NWSL side is that they have seen an increase in viewership. The latest numbers coming out, as we have received it just now, is that more than six hundred thousand people watch the finals of the Challenge Cup. This is in line with the momentum created after the women's team, the USA women's team, won the twenty nineteen FIFA Women's World Cup against the Netherlands. And this is something that the NWSL can build on to continue to improve the league and improve awareness for women's football. We then want to compare it with a few other leagues, but first of all, the WSL. We compared it in terms of the talent or the technique within the league and how watchable or enjoyable it is earlier. So we're not going to repeat that. But we also want to talk about the recognition, where, as we have said, Americans would prefer to stay. And those who want a degree while playing professionally can study here, as you might remember from our earlier interview with Ellie Leak, who told us about the system in the USA, where you get to be, as we've said again, professional athlete while studying for a degree. But then ultimately, a lot of people, like Ellie, for example, came back to the UK or other clubs in Europe to play. And of course, comparison to WSL includes the fact that it is involved in Europe. You have the Champions League. You have a bigger range of clubs to play for. It's easier to get scouted as scouts don't have to fly all the way to the USA to scout you. And therefore, the WSL, in a sense, in terms of recognition, career prospect for non-Americans is actually higher than the NWSL. So we think that unless USA, Canada, Mexico, or even the Americas in general, South America, can expand their football culture and reduce sexism. Of course, within the continent and within America itself, it's hard to see players ditching the WSL or the European clubs in general for the NWSL. Our second question is: How should the league move forward? First of all, they need to figure out how to avoid clashes with Olympics and other summer international tournaments. As we have said, these are big things in women's football. For example, we think that. The NWSL could move the season to a winter season, for example, or bring in a domestic cup, so that during those times, teams can field different players to try out, or even field newer players, younger players who are not part of the Olympics team yet, to play in that cup tournament that may be part of the developmental cup in USA. And second of all, we think that they have to stop adopting the MLS, that's Major League Soccer for the men's, or really the NBA and NFL models. I.e., those tournaments have the right, and sure they can call them World Series or World Champion, etc. But with the lack of continental cups, that is, when you call your league the World Tournament, it's very hard to have another continental cup. So we think that that model has to be dropped, because without continental cups, you reduce the exposure, as we've said, and reduce the number of games that players can play. At least, I think they should work something out with Canada, Mexico, so that there is some sort of exchange with other cultures, with other football teams. An alternative, of course, to increase the number of games and increase recognition for these football teams, that women football teams, 
would be to do certain tournaments for youth teams or for university tryouts. Again, the NBA or the NFL, they have all-star matches, or in the NFL, the draft regional combined, where you have players who are ready to go into the draft system, i.e. either in the last year of university, preparing to join the professional league. They go into a combined where they do, for the NFL, they do short sprints, they do weightlifting and all that. For football, you could have different games and all that that attract viewerships and we think this could be a good idea or as we have said for university or youth teams to play against each other although we know that they do it now but perhaps for these teams to play against let's say the new players from the drafts from last year say in the NWSL we think that this could be something new that the NWSL could consider but in any event we think they're hyping up the draft hyping up the system that's unique in the USA and dragging therefore the season a bit longer and even having friendlies for example with universities could all help them gain exposure. Second of all is to continue to broadcast the game widely that is to include international viewers for scouts and for exposure. Post lockdown we think that you know people may choose other stuff but lockdown football definitely showed that people are interested with the viewership people don't just watch anything on TV or perhaps they do, but at least we think some people tuned in and this is a good opportunity, even when you don't have star names like Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, people are still watching. As we have said, you should keep the draft, NWSL should keep the draft, but then should also welcome foreign talent in the sense you have overseas students. Again, football, soccer is different from other sports because football is international, i.e. the draft is good in making the league competitive. For those who don't know, I realised that we didn't explain the draft system a lot. Basically, the draft system works in a way that you have, say, a team that ended up last in the season, in last season, and they get the first pick. The first pick meaning that out of those coming out of university in the draft system, they're preparing to play for any professional team the team at the bottom can sign the first player. So theoretically, they can pick the best player for the team. So it sort of balances out the league and avoids the teams having an unfair advantage over other people, where they try to make the league more competitive on the same level, keeping all teams on the same level, so that if you have good players, then you don't get the first draft pick next season. But as we have said, the draft system is very good. But without international talent, without exchange, it's very hard for the game to improve. It's very hard for the team or league as a whole to gain international support or recognition. Now, the benefit of the US system, one of the biggest, we think, is the way sport is promoted. The league itself actively is involved in creating news, rumors, even, and selling products. The States, the USA, has a culture of marketing the whole league as one and not as the same as sports in Europe where teams promote for themselves and news agencies separate from the league of course and even from teams create traction, create rumors, create reports and analysis. We think that the USA can use the model they created themselves that is where the league create analysis, they hire reporters and they spread rumors even, they send things onto their Facebook accounts saying that there could be a potential transfer and all that to promote women's football 
as it is not as strong as other sports at the moment, we think it's it's going to be amazing. We think, as we have always said, that women's football team have to work together. It's harder to be done, and it's easier said, because this model is rare in Europe or in football. But in the USA, you already have this model, so we think that to use it similarly to the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, etc., etc., MLB for baseball, we think it could benefit women's football hugely, and and it could grow exponentially if the model is applied in the NWSL. We'll be back. In other news, WSL champions Chelsea have signed Canada international Jesse Fleming on a three-year contract. The 22-year-old midfielder has joined the Blues from UCLA Bruins, a football program at the University of California, LA. Fleming has scored 10 goals in 77 appearances for Canada since making her international debut aged 15 in 2013. Newly promoted Aston Villa has signed German goalkeeper Lisa Face from French and European champions Lyon. The 32-year-old is Villa's fourth signing since the promotion was confirmed in June. Tottenham Hotspur women have signed centre-back Keris Harrop following her departure from Birmingham City Women. Former Blues captain Harrod, who is 29, joins Spurs on a deal until 2022. In her 20 years at Birmingham, the England under-23 defender helped them to two second-place league finishes and the Women's FA Cup in 2012. Spurs have also signed England international Rachel Williams following her departure from Birmingham City Women. The 32-year-old forward has agreed to a one-year contract with the option to extend the deal for a further year. Williams scored 43 goals in 94 appearances over two spells with the Blues. And Spurs women also have signed goalkeeper Aurora Mikkelsen on a one-year deal. The 24-year-old Norwegian spent last season with Manchester United but only made one appearance. Brighton and Hove Albion women have signed Manchester City striker Lee Kwon Bin on a season-long loan deal. The South Korean international, who is 26, joined City last August on a two-year contract. She made eight appearances in all competitions last season, scoring once against Birmingham City. Lee has scored 16 goals in more than 50 appearances at senior level for her country and featured at the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. That's it for our show this week. If you liked the podcast, remember to rate, subscribe and share it with your friends and family. We'll be back next week. Thank you again for listening. I'm Harry Chan and this is the She Plays On Women's Football Podcast.